The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome everyone and thank you for being out there in your daily practice as an intentional spirit. The reason I highlight practice it's because it's not an arrival place or a destination. Defini- <laughs> destination, it truly is. Every day, every day, we practice what we know and the willingness from our heart to come from a place of what we don't know. That is one of the reasons of having this show is because of incredible authors, uh, filmmakers, producers, musicians, counselors, life coaches, etc., that they offer us different windows of what to know and how we can practice. And in this world that is consistently evolving, how to know a little bit more than we did before and what to do with it. Our guest today is no different, Lynn B. Robinson. She is a mover and a shaker. She is a teacher of her time, a trailblazer. And I am delighted that she's here with us. Thank you, Lynn, for being on our show with Unity today. I'm really glad to be here, and I love that you keep saying practice. I've been doing that for a very long time, and I think one of these days I may get it. Well, you know, I've I've said to people many times uh, through my life of teaching or being a speaking coach or, you know, being a colleague and both the science, I'm bi-spiritual. I did come out of the closet. I'm science of mind minister and a unity minister. And so I um, have always said that when I stop saying one of my primary focuses in life is to be a student, uh, please remind me it's time for me to, uh, to move, you know, away from public life. Because I, I think that's to be a student of life in whatever we're teaching is our is our greatest gift really that we can offer because it's the it's why we have electricity it's why people live past 50 years old it's why we um, are living in a world that is though it is resisting it on many different levels we have so much more diversity and inclusivity um, you know, it's why we have penicillin, right? Because somebody was willing to practice and not accept the conditions or the paradigm that they were told this is the way it is. And you're definitely one of those people. I know that in 1994, your book, Coming Out of Your Psychic Closet, <laughs> How to Unlock Your Natural Intuitive Self. I love that. Um <laughs> Is there a story there, or is it just because of my own life, I'm assuming there's a story there? Is that just a frame of reference because so much of life life is about coming out of the closet? (laughs) But, you know, 
know, I have I have three degrees in business, bachelor's, master's, and PhD in business, and have been have been aware of being highly intuitive for most of my life and using a lot of that in consulting work with high level executives in businesses of all sizes, mom and pop shops to Fortune 500 companies, and yet being very circumspect in how I would talk about it. Um, at the same time I was highly intuitive, I became aware as I, as I aged that I had awarenesses that were not just of the physical aspects of life. So um, I learned to phrase many years ago. I've forgotten where. I don't think it was originally with me. You know, I'm more than my physical body. Um, and I also picked up the phrase somewhere, suspend your disbelief and used both of those a lot in, in my own life. And so um, once I had left academia and was no longer fully, I was an emeritus professor rather than on, on full-time staff, I felt a little bit freed up, and I, and I wrote the book so that other people could appreciate their own capacities that extended beyond what they learned in school was okay. I have a feeling that if you and I sat down to have a cup of tea, we would wind up somewhere needing to stay in that city for several days. Um, I, I applaud you, and you're willing to come forward in conversations that, you know, very few people are. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, in 1994, myself at 34 years old was sharing... Uh, with audiences, I think Betty Ford was one of the only other people that were doing it about my issues with alcohol. Oh. And there's, there is something about that. Uh, you're so right. And, um, you know, people hear about intuition now and they go, God, I'm so glad you wrote that book. But to just uh, put a, a frame around that, of the courage that it took you in 1994 as a public and college degree scholar to step out there and say, hey, you know, the five senses, if we really step into some of our natural uh, God or creator ordained gifts, is actually some of the smallest aspects of who we are. It's the other parts. Uh, the intuitive faculties and the ability to see beyond and experience uh, that's where so much of it is that's where a lot of the gifts and joy comes from so good for you well, good for you, you. well were you so. were you in an environment or culture um, as a as a young woman that being different was considered cool or no. were you the radical the the one in the room that everybody went, <clears throat> here she comes. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, you know, grew up being a Brownie Scout, a Girl Scout, a Mariner Scout, that whole thing. I, you know, went to summer camps. I, I did go to public schools uh, in the Deep South. Um, and But at the same time, something happened in my life um, that allowed me. I don't know that something happened. or It's just the way I was born, the so maybe what I came here to do was to to stand up and do my own thing. I mean, when I went away to college as a freshman, uh, wanting to major in business, I had to really carefully look for a university that would accept me because I was female. 
And most colleges of business didn't accept women. So uh, from the get-go, and same thing, when I was working on my doctorate, I was the only woman in my field, and in the entire university, there was only one other, and she was in accounting and was 10 years my senior. And, but it was no big deal. It's just what I wanted to do, so I found a way to do it. And, I, you know, I never let the guys get my back up or anything. I just laughed. I had an older brother. I remember walking into my office and um, that I had to share with three other graduate students and this one guy we call Tiny, who's this enormous man, <laughs> which is why we call him Tiny, looked at me and said, are you going to be in here? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm not going to change my language for you. And I just laughed and I said, oh, okay, I have an older brother. And the entire attitude in the room diffused and there were no problems. You know, I just Went ahead and did what I wanted to do. It's not surprising um, with everything that you're saying that now you're taking on something that so much uh, needs to be spoken about. Loving to the end. Yeah. And, you know, what is possible. So, um I'd love that that continues that emergent spirit keeps coming through you and other ways in which you're teaching and which you're uh, taking a stand. You, you may not know this, but I uh, authored a book in 2014, my third book called, uh, when did you die? Eight steps to stop dying every day and start waking up. And uh, one of the uh, publishers uh, advised me early on that the title was going to kill the book. And I really? said, you know, it may, but that's what came to me in guidance. And it's the avoidance of that word that has so much to do with our everyday realities now in our society. So whether or not it is a bestseller to me, it's more important to start the conversation and and all and what goes on around that and then of course 30 years in ministry of seeing that everybody is living on the edge you know on this pretense that it's not going to happen to them you know and and uh and just how to sit with that and how to have that grace and be able to be there for other people now you alluded to the fact that you have had a personal experience with loving to the end? Oh, a number. I have not had a near-death experience. If right. That's what, if that's but what, but you, no, we're no. talking about being there for people oh, absolutely. who, who are in the process of dying besides, and really being, being there for them with grace friend. and dignity and somewhat at the same time uh, constantly applying that golden rule. You know, and I, this is so timely because um, my mother, who just turned 81, she um, just left her city that she's lived in all of her life and moved to Florida to be closer to her daughter. And I, I have to tell you, I didn't find a place to, quote unquote, put mom. I found a place that if somebody was placing me, 
that I would like. Because there's something fundamental at our core that we need to remember with our parents, our husbands, our wives, family members to do the golden rule, do unto them as you would have it done unto yourself. So I was really excited. I I wanted to kind of just highlight already who you are and that level of credentialing and, you know, what you've been able to do. But I was very much looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing that story. You know, Temple, one of the things that has been so excited in the month that the book has been out, uh, and that's just about how long it's been out, is the number of people who have either told me directly or through someone else a story. One person even specifically said, because of the book, I'm no longer afraid to share my stories. And that was so exciting for me, that if if this will open people up and they'll share their stories with family, with friends, with medical personnel, and I so so much hope that medical people will read this book, physicians and nurses who are right there at the scene all the time. Many of them are already open. I'm nurses, I think, more so than physicians. But it's very exciting to me to know that you have now shared a story, and and I'm having that happen increasingly often. And if, if people go to www.lynnbrobinson.com, there's a place where they can contact me and leave a story if they want to. Um, it's always thrilling to me to, to hear them. Absolutely, and I'm going to repeat that because you certainly were clear, of course, but just repeating that, and we'll repeat it two or three times throughout the show. Uh, please go to the website, Lynn, L-Y-N-N-B, Robinson.com, and get engaged and get involved in this conversation. Well, one of the things that uh, occurred with me was in 2007, I went to Omega Institute and I heard women from around the world talk about some of the issues. And as I was kind of breathing in these issues and and listening and sitting with them, to me, I realized that everything they were saying, there was a common thread there. And that was uh, life. That there was a level of where we are and are becoming that there's a a lack of respect or awareness of the value and importance of life. And it varies, of course, from culture to culture. But that being said, because of that, which is about what you're talking about, it also includes elder rights. And I, for a number of years, used to speak in the healthcare facilities across more so Florida, but in other places. And it's so unfortunate what has happened because just like hospitals originally, originally the root idea was very positive to be there for the person. And more often than not, many times in either setting, long-term or assisted living and or hospitals, people got better because of the the vibration, because of the holding, because of the tending to, whereas now their chances are 
in many cases, they get worse. And everything, not everything, I can't say that, many things have become about the bottom line or the top level of money makers versus the tending to the patient. So I'm just putting my two cents in there. And then now I just want to hear more about what you have to say. So loving I, to the end. I, why does well, that I, matter I, to you? I and have, why did that become something you were willing to dedicate your time to? Um, I, I'll talk about dedicating my, dedicating my time to that after making a comment about some of these places where people need help and assisted living and that sort of thing. Uh, and it'll take me into the into the loving to the end and on also because I have found that among the, the places where there seems to be the most caring attitude, there are frequently animals. There are either cats that live there or dogs or both or fish tanks where the, the people who live there interact. And it reminds me of how sensitive animals are to death and dying. Um, mm -hmm. Stories of um, one's pets, whether a cat or dog, usually who when someone is at end of life will go literally get in the bed and curl up next to them if they're allowed or stay right there on the floor by them. Of the ones who, oh, there's so many stories from young men who've died military deaths halfway around the world, and their dog at home will start howling or barking, and the family founds out, finds out later that at the moment the dog was howling or barking and, and no one understood why was when the actual death occurred, and their pet knew, knew it, maybe half a world away. And so with so many stories like that, as well as um, so many of my own opportunities to talk to people no longer in physical bodies, whether or not I had solicited it or not, it was just normal for me to write a book like this. But the genesis of the book was because a friend of mine who was a dean of nursing knew that I facilitate a, a local affiliate group of the International Association of Near-Death Studies. I'm not a near-dether myself, but I'm an after-death communicator and have been for most of my life. And I felt empathy with those people, and I knew there wasn't a group in Mobile, and I knew... Um, how needy some of them were because of, of some courses or talks that I had given locally or some articles that I may have written and there, or a magazine article that was written about me locally years ago, etc. So I, I started a, a local affiliate group of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and it's free to the public because it's in a branch of the public library, so there can be no charge, which means that my little group doesn't have money to advertise it locally and anything like that has to be approved anyway. But people find out about it. And, you know, I've had somebody come up from uh, mid-Florida, drive um, four to six hours to get here just to go to the meeting because they wanted somebody to talk to. I've had somebody come over from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm on the Gulf Coast of, of Alabama. And um, for the same reason, uh, a, a man come over, um, I had him come over from the Gulf Coast of uh, Mississippi because his father, he thought, had had near-death experiences, and the father wasn't coping well, and he wanted to know how to help him with that. And then there are other people who uh, 
don't have near-death experiences but have a visitation of some kind. I know um, people who said, Lynn, I don't understand it. You know, I wake up and I sense my husband, who maybe had died two months, six months, a year before, uh, being in the bed with me. And I, I look and there's actually an indentation in the pillow. And I'm sensing he's there. And my attitude is, yeah, he probably is. <laughs> so Absolutely. We, we know he is. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, when I say yes, he probably is to someone like that, it's because I'm being gentle and leading into a longer conversation. You? You're being gentle. Yeah, rather than be dogmatic and say he's absolutely there. What? Is there something wrong with you? Of course he's there. No, I, I know. I'm just, I'm just teasing you. Right. I, I, I know that it's, uh, I mean, for me, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, even, even people that are... Uh, such strong advocates of of the Bible, and I'm just stating it as a fact with no energy around it one way or the other. Um, I mean that, and and for those that are the advocate of you know following uh, Jesus, it's like that was the very thing he proved, wasn't it? I'm not really gone. I'm right here. Look over yeah. there. I'm right there. So anyway, um, yeah, that's really it. It is so powerful and it and it is amazing isn't it that when people wake up to that there's no going back usually there's not and and that's very exciting and another thing that has been thrilling for me with this book is that a few people who've read it with whom I have talked for years with this book where you know I I tell people just for the moment suspend your disbelief you know, you don't have to accept any of this. Just take it with a grain of salt. Just listen to the experiences that people have had. And some of the people who've read this book are now talking to me differently than they ever have before. It may have be a function of age. They're getting older. Um, more friends are dying and that sort of thing. But um, I, I'm really pleased that I, I really feel in some ways that this book pretty much wrote itself or came into being the way it had to be. Um, in fact, I had to cut lots of stuff out, and, and et cetera. But, but the fact that it is allowing people to examine their own lives and remember things in ways they haven't before and say, yeah, we really do live on. I, I'm, I'm just thrilled beyond belief that people are having that experience. Yes, me too. I'm 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 glad that it's um becoming an awakening for so many people and I've had a lot of people die in my life and uh many of them still communicate with me or send me messages or send me feathers and it's just incredible. Oh, you so know, you're it's a just really gallery. beautiful and it 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 really opens um I feel it opens the heart in in more of that day to day practice that we kind of started talking about. Yeah, is that it is ongoing and there's not one grand finale and you get to a magic place. It's about the magic place is here, and it it kind of makes that distinction too that it's not about being on earth and then going to heaven. To me, it's more about heaven is on earth and how do you see it and how do you find it. Sure. Because it's all around you, you know. So how did you, what was it that caused you to find feathers? Because 
I have stories of other people with other things, and it would be interesting to compare that. Did did you choose to find feathers? Did someone say to you before dying, you're going to find feathers? Um, a part of me through the um, later 30s, I needed more than just to be immersed in a new thought. Uh, new thought didn't help me define my spirituality because I was born metaphysical. Mm-hmm. It What it did for me is it validated Okay, it validated a lot of questions and it gave me a place to go, you know. And so that being said, I got, I needed something else because I realized there was more than just change your thinking, change your life. Because I knew myself included, a lot of thinking had changed and life wasn't looking that different. (laughs) You know, so, so I thought there's something deeper than that. And my soul wants to find that. And I, I then stepped in the throes of, um, shaman, uh, being a shamanic practitioner and studying that. And along the way, when I was working intentionally to have a change Mm -hmm. or a new awareness, a feather would just fall out of the sky. And so it became like a thing for me and it became a connection for me, either birds and or feathers, maybe because, uh, in the, in the way that I learned, you know, with, um, the energies of the East, that is life, that is new beginnings. And we know that's what death is, is, as, um, Billy Graham said, a, a new address, it's a new beginning. And that's where the winged creatures are you know, in the, in the East. And that's where we find that energy that could be a part of it. But that being said, then that became kind of my, my cue, you know, when you're settled, get back with me, send me a feather, you know, um, make me aware uh, that everything is, is well. So when my little Yorkie died, I asked for that and I went over to the beach a couple of weeks later and I bet if I found um, 200 feathers, I'm not stating it correctly. I'm, I'm doing it an injustice because there were actually more. They were everywhere. And this is a beach across the street. But there's more to come and we have so much more to share. The thing I know about you is this show won't be long enough. So we are taking a short break. Stay with us because we are talking with Lynn B. Robinson. Go to her website, lynnbrobinson.com, and we'll be right back to delve into more of how to be there and how to be loving to the end. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Emily Cady, in her Lessons in Truth, makes a statement which I think we need to kind of think about a little bit. She says, God is not a being with qualities or attributes, 
but he is the good itself coming into expression as life, love, power, wisdom, etc. He is the good itself coming into expression as life, love, power, and wisdom. In other words, and this again is, is shattering to some of us, God is not loving. Ah, oh, God is a loving God. God is not loving. Because the moment we talk about God as loving, we've got the anthropomorphic Michelangelo like God sitting up in a crowd somewhere with his heart beaming out and saying, oh, I love you all down there, so you're so dearly, as long as you're good. But I'm not going to love you very much if you don't go to church and so forth. God is not loving. God is love. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 816-969-2000. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. Unity founder Charles Fillmore is quoted as saying, Here is a mental treatment guaranteed to cure every ill. Sit for half an hour every night and mentally forgive everyone against whom you have any ill will. The act of forgiveness is powerful medicine. Is there someone in your life that you can work on forgiving? Try this exercise tonight. To forgive is to set yourself free. Find out more about Unity at unity.org. If you could talk to an angel, what would you say? Join Jerry Gavin every Monday at 5 p.m. Central for Angelic Connection. Jerry shares messages from his guardian angel, Margaret, in combination with ancient healing practices to teach people how to listen to their spirit. Jerry can help you strengthen your connection to the angelic realm and receive clear messages of help and healing. Call in and join the show every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being an intentional spirit and living in the practice. And provided that you love these kind of conversations, please join me at firstunity.org as well as templehays.com. We're always bringing to you different conversations and spaces that will allow you to truly embrace more of your humanity and to understand how we are designed as humans to bring life and as I heard one time, the secret of life is not whether we will live or die. It's the parts of ourselves that we allow to die while we're living. So we bring in great topics, just like today with Lynn B. Robinson, who has launched her book. It's out for a month, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. So please look her up, get this book, share it with your friends. It's a conversation everybody could use a little growth in. I'm just saying in my own humility, we can never talk about dying too much. That's for sure. So Lynn, as you have already, you know, I'm sure put together in, in my years, it's, um, it's been very beautiful to be able to be a part of serving 
so many people and families that have died. And I just call it dying because uh, I understand it's a transition. I understand, you know, in a metaphysical flavor. But I, I also find that sometimes we we try to make words that desensitize us from the feelings that it really is what it is, you know. And so I just find that helpful for me. And so that being said, I'm sure that you have many, many stories to share and we want to delve into that. Um, loving to the end. What yes. guided you to say, here are the key points, and this is why I think they, this is why I think these points matter? Um, I think the writing of the book itself guided me. Um, as, as I began exploring ways to talk about death, one would lead to the next. And some of the things it talked about are going to flip us back to what we were talking about just before the break when you were describing how you found so many feathers after your dog died because feathers coming out of the sky are meaningful for you on several levels, and you explained that to us. Um, one of the stories in this book is of a friend whose mother, when she was approaching the end of life, said to her daughters, you know, when I come back, I'm going to be a bird like, like the birds that visit me every year in the tree right outside of my window there, and that's how you're going to know. And um, shortly after their mother died, uh, my friend's sister was at, at the home in another state cleaning out the house and fixing everything, trying to do what needs to be done, looked out the window, and that tree had not just one bird but a flock of the kind of bird that normally came. And it was not the right season. The birds normally could not and would not have been there in that tree in that section of this country at that time. And so, you know, the, the obvious thing was, there's mom. You know, thank you. You, you did what you told us you were going to do. Um, with my own cousin who died of cancer, and she was one of three siblings and the only one who was really is open to, to this with me, and we talked about it a lot. And, and I said, okay, how am I going to know you're okay when you're not here anymore? Because she's clearly dying. There's nothing. She had brain cancer, so there, and there, there was just nothing that could be done and a good bit younger. And she said, well, just look for the butterflies. And she was buried in a family plot uh, kind of out in the country a little bit. And at the, at the time that uh, the prayers were being said in the cemetery, there must have been 200 small yellow butterflies that swarmed in and among all of us who were, and there were only a few of us because it was a, a private family burial. And there they were. And, I, and, of course, I was the only one there who had this conversation, but I was like, oh, she's here. You know, thank you. And I could, in, inside of me, just feel her smiling about the whole situation and that she was able to, to get the butterflies there. And I think there's a story about a friend of mine who lives in Ohio who had something similar with fireflies and her, her mother. I'm not sure it was fireflies. And so I just, I just wanted to stick that in that, oh, and um, I have an, um, a mutual friend who, who uh, of, of another friend who had who died, oh gosh, five or six years ago, and before she died, this mutual friend 
had said, okay, you know, I'm going to miss you so much. And she said, well, no, you're not, because you're going to look down at the ground and you're going to find a coin and you're going to know that I put it there. And she's been finding coins, especially when she thinks about this friend and, you know, is really concentrated. She'll find a nickel or a dime or a quarter and pick it up, and it happens routinely. So somehow we're able to sometimes... um, give visual symbols that um, our loved ones are around, even though we can't feel, touch, or see them. Um, And then there are other occasions where we do actually see the people we love, see them in in the flesh. One of my favorite experiences was, and I'm trying to write a little story about this, uh, an article about it, but um, an aunt of mine who um, died, and she came to visit me like a week before she died and wanted to talk about these topics, and she had never done that before. And about a week after she did that, she had a heart attack, and within a couple of days had had, had died. She, it was an irreversible thing. And um, she left a little money to to me and to my siblings and, my husband and I used some of that to buy, well, to move into a little bit larger house closer to my work and um, a little bit more comfortable for the family situation. And just a few nights after we moved in, I awakened and wanted to open my eyes and did and saw her standing at the foot of my bed and tried to wake my husband up and shook him and said, do you see her, do you see her? And he kind of grunted no. And so... Then when I looked again, she had disappeared. In the morning, I thought about it, and I realized that she was letting me know how pleased she was that she had been able to help us in this next step. But what was even more shocking was that I realized when I looked at her, she looked like pictures that I had seen of her before I was born. When she was in college, she was at Radcliffe up in Massachusetts, and and that was the days, I mean, we're talking, I guess, the early 1920s, maybe. And the dormitories were heated with open fires, and she had some kind of new plastic comb in her hair, kind of setting waves or whatever the style was. And she was a beautiful woman based on the pictures that I saw. She was really exquisitely beautiful. And the, the combs burst into flame. They were inflammatory, the, the new materials. So she quickly rolled herself up in a rug and she got the fire out. But the long and the short of it is she was left heavily scarred. The skin transplants were not then what they are now. And she had to wear very heavy makeup. When I saw her after her death in my bedroom, I saw her like she looked before the fire. And it was just one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And that kind of takes us to what you were talking about before, about we guess we live on. It's not really the same, but there it is. And um, she was able to just show me in that one glimpse that so much more. And um, I don't know, it was, just, it was just beautiful to me. So that's uh, one of the kinds of experiences that I've had. 
the other kinds of experiences that are very meaningful to me, and I, I want to encourage people because, as you said before, this book does talk about dying because it's to the end and on. So the end means of physical life in my parlance, but that we're more than physical bodies. So um, I want to encourage people to be with their loved ones as fully as they can. I know I talked to one gentleman who said, I just couldn't be in the room. I had to leave. I want to say that's okay, too. And I even know of instances where people who were dying waited for somebody to leave because they didn't think that person could handle the dying process. There is a process for people who've never been bedside with somebody who dies. Um, the breathing gets more labored. The skin tones start to change in your extremities. Sometimes there's gurgling. I mean, there, there are things that some people just don't want to hear, they don't want to remember, and that's okay, too. But for those of you who can be there, I, I want to refer you to the first chapter in Loving to the End and On, uh, which you can buy, by the way, at Amazon or Barnes & Noble online or get a local bookstore to order it. Um, but in the very first chapter is, you know, the story of one of my dearest friends, literally from birth. We were in the nursery in the hospital together. And when her husband was dying and she had her um, head on his chest and as he was leaving his body, he took her with him. And for just a moment, even though she was still alive and in the physical body, her essence left with him and she said it was absolutely the most intimate experience of their lives together. And they had had a very intimate marriage. And she even went on to say it was better than sex. So not too many people make that claim, but um, but she did. And then in her own, uh, when she when she died a few years later, very unexpectedly, and frankly, I was very angry with her because um, she was supposed to live to be quite old with me because our parents <laughs> did, and yes. she, she left sooner than I wanted her to. But that was hers to do. But but her girls who were with her had some similar experiences with her, which were wonderful. So I've talked a lot. It's your turn. Did you have a question? No, it's <clears throat> it's magical what you're saying. And um, I, I say it quite frequently, I, I think, because it's been an evolution for me, Lynn. Um, for those people that really do identify with Scripture, I think that often they hear, may my eyes and my ears, you know, I have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. To me, we're not talking about the physical aspects of seeing and hearing that's pretty ordinary i mean though you know there are people that are without sight or sound and you know i can't imagine what that's like but for the most part we all do see and we hear it's more about exactly what you and i are talking about it is the capacity to live in several different realms as a human being and to, to have the eyes to know that we're being contacted, to have the eyes uh, to know that uh, other people are connecting with us and seeing that and paying attention to what just fell right in front of us or that connection, et cetera. Um, and, and to be able to witness that in a way of 
you know, being in this uh, consciousness and I've seen it happen with people, but I definitely uh, saw it a few years ago with one of my dogs. I literally saw him walk out of his body. I saw him walk out of it and I saw that spirit when he did that last stretch, there it was. And there he was flying. And I will remember that every magical moment of, of my life. And there are levels that people are still communicating and they're still talking. And I've sat with, you know, people that are very close to me in that last hour or run and go jump on the bed with them. Or, you know, that's another part two of this show that we could do part two and part three and really ought to. But, you know, there's something that happens when people also in, in my window of the world, when people, they know they're dying and everything, they stop touching, you know, they start being like over there, you know, over there on the other side of the room, instead of jumping on the bed and singing songs. And some people do, but I, but I do think there is a denial and avoidance that happens there. But I've sat with many of the people that I love and I've said, if you really know I'm here and you could just give me a clue, would you look at me on your exit? Will you look at me? And they lift their head. Their head turns towards me. Now their head's been lying still for a long time. They lift their head. They turn over, turn their head right to me almost like a nod, you know, almost something in a movie. I go, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And it's not their eyes. <laughs> well, it, it may not be their eyes. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes, especially for people who are willing to sit bedside and hold someone's hand, um, hearing is the last thing to go. I'm not even sure it's still physical hearing. I, I don't know how to prove that or disprove that, but there there's just too many instances about which people have written or I've had experience or people have told me of just exactly what you're saying, saying something and then getting proof. Um, they may open their eyes. They may not. They may hold your hand. They, if you're holding their hand, they may squeeze it. I love one of the stories in my book that that a, a friend of mine's daughter told me about his mother. I'm not even sure he knows that she told me this story. But she she was at close to 100, maybe even a little more, and had been actively dying for a, a day or so, and they were all gathered around, and she loved gospel music, and they were playing an Elvis Presley gospel song. <laughs> so, and this is just in recent years. And, oh, yeah. You know, and she had been lying. I mean, she was very close to death. And with this particular song, which she loved, her hands came up, her two index singers came up, and she started keeping time with the music. And shortly thereafter. <laughs> I love it. She, yeah, shortly thereafter, you know, her her essence was no longer in her physical body. But she was able to move her physical body. It showed them clear appreciation of what they were doing. And I just love that story. I was so excited when she shared it with me. 
because it's, yeah, it's, it's great. That's really, really wonderful. And you can, I mean, you, you know, your computer starts doing interesting things, you know, um, I've had, um, I was doing a memorial for someone and I didn't know the family. And so I was in my, um, in my office and every time I would go to do something for that particular person, my computer would shut down and really, and it would do the strangest things. And so I was like, uh, I don't really want to go there, but I was attempting to articulate to the family that, well, I wanted to do this one thing, but I could never get my computer to do right. And they just burst into laughing and they said, you know, so-and-so he was a computer guru and he used to play tricks on us all the time. And I said, well, he still is. (laughs) Okay. So once you shared that story, did the tricks on your computer stop? Yes. Oh, yes, yep. absolutely. Yeah, and you that delivered never the happened before. I mean, on occasion, something rare might happen when Mercury's in retrograde, but for the most part, no. But it was definitely obvious that there was some weird vibes going on. And I was just so glad that I shared it with them because I would have missed that. And that's what happens a lot. People are hesitant to bring in a conversation. The spaces they've had, the experiences, um, I'll tell you another quick story. I had a jacket that I did a talk around and I intentionally wore the jacket for this purpose. It was black. It was a night jacket. It was not a day jacket. And it had these big, huge, um, two to three inch buttons, all different colors on there. And so the talk was, don't let anybody push your buttons. So I was, I was doing a memorial for this woman and didn't know her, didn't know the family. And they, um, I came over one morning and as I was getting dressed, I got the download that, Oh, wear your, wear your, uh, that jacket. And I went, I'm not wearing that jacket. (laughs) You know, I mean, they'll make fun of me at the office. It's a night jacket Wear the jacket. So I come bopping in here with that jacket on. And of course I got heckled, of course, by the staff. Well, that's interesting for you to be wearing today. And I said, just stop. Okay. So I go in, meet with the family. Short of the story is when we're leaving, the son pulls me over to the side. He said, my mom was so clear that she wanted you to do the service. And she was so disappointed knowing that she wasn't going to live long enough to really participate actively in your community. As a matter of fact, the day that she did come, she talked about it, never stopped talking about it, about how you wore that jacket. Don't let anybody push your buttons. And it changed her life. And I said, well, it's because your mom is the reason that I wore that jacket today. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. so there, there you go. So very interesting, isn't it? It's all around us. Love is all around us to see it and hear it and experience it. And, and some people say to me, well, why don't they just say what they want to say? And I, my response to that is they do the best they can to find a way to communicate. Uh, and something, I'm, I'm, another thing I'm working on writing, I, it's, I guess the way to say is, you know, if you're traveling somewhere in the world and you don't know the language, and because you speak one and they speak another, you start doing hand signals. You start 
you do anything you can to communicate because you don't have a singular language between you. And I think between dimensions or however you want to express this in a physical body, not in a physical body, you do the best you can to get somebody's attention and get a message through. And yes, so and I, we, I do think that regardless of any uh, teachings in the world, I think the one that I can really I can really wrap my head around is it is done unto us as we believe. And that's why I I'm so happy that this book is out there because you're saying a guide to the impossibly possible because if you believe that this is just it, you know, that the biggest aha of life is that you're born, you know, you you enjoy your parents, your guardians, and you, or you survive them, and you got a job, and you saw how much you could accumulate in your life, either through credentialing or accomplishment or materialism or whatever, and that was it, and then that's it, then that is your life experience. The ability to receive the communication in any form or sign or language is about your ability to believe that life is not over. And it's just that we don't see it, but it's there. Every all these spirits and guides and elders, they're they're all around us, um, and and I imagine they have quite a time sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah, but, <laughs> they're but like, oh my gosh, what do we have to send to Tom now? Let me see. We've sent butterflies, uh, we've left quarters, uh, we've had you know pelicans flying almost, uh, you know, nipping him on the nose, and he still doesn't <laughs> notice. <laughs> right. So maybe if we keep this car from starting, or maybe when the car first turns on, we'll play what our favorite song was together, and it's just like, duh, you know, did you see it? Did you hear it? Were you awake? I'm here. It is uh, pretty amazing, isn't it? I love really this is. conversation. It's actually my favorite. Dying by not dying. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and being open to what life really is. And, and you know, d is life only divine, de defined by physical birth and physical death? Is that, is that it? Or does life have a greater meaning? And I think that's what all of this opens us to. And I think that indeed is what you know for sure is that life has, we barely scratched the surface. You know, it's like the scientist told us many years ago, we only use such a small percentage of our, of our minds. I, I think about, and this is what I, what I hold for you. Uh, there's teachings around the morphogenetic field, which we create this field in our lives. Like an example is in Pennsylvania, when they first invented cars, people had the two drivers had to learn how to work with that morphogenetic field to drive. And without fail, those two automobiles and those in, in the big city, they ran into each other. <laughs> they had an accident <laughs> because they didn't understand how to develop that. I witnessed that when I was learning to drive. It took me a long time to identify aura, field, driving, safety, etc., and you are opening a new field for us. 
a new way of seeing and and uh, being a trailblazer again in how to be that and how to do that. So I want to urge all of you to get that book and share it with your friends. Go to lynnbrobinson.com, purchase the book, and learn. If you haven't been having those experiences in your life of your loved ones communicating with you, ask yourself, what do I believe? And probe yourself as to what you're looking for and seeking. Lynn, it has just been a pleasure to have you on this show. It's hard to believe that we are at the end, <laughs> but because neither one of us believe in an end, then we know it's just to be continued. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.